Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Hey there, Winnipeg Jets fans. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast, episode 61. My name is AJ, one of your hosts. Uh, okay, let's see. This episode is a roundtable discussion with myself, Chris, and Mike at CMAC Live at Mike Friesen 10 or their Twitter handles. Don't look for me because you won't find me on Twitter. Um, you'll notice in the middle of the episode there is a bit of an edit. Actually, you probably won't notice that one. But it does end a little bit abruptly. Uh, some ideas and thoughts we didn't really um, uh, flesh out. So, And we're getting a bit long, so I cut a, a little bit out. So it, it does end a bit abruptly. That was on purpose just because uh, it wasn't working out. Uh, shout out to our sponsor, the Blackbird Brasserie. Richard, one of the part owners over there, does our... Um, our logos and graphic design stuff so uh, definitely check out the Blackbird Brasserie I've eaten there it's good food upcoming interviews Jake Heisinger with the Winnipeg Ice has a similar job to Craig Heisinger his father with the Winnipeg Jets going to be talking with him later this week Uh, let's see what else Uh, make sure you tell everyone about the podcast Uh, listenership is definitely up a lot in the summer surprisingly Uh, higher than it was probably our last five or six episodes of the season so everybody's thirsty for some stuff so make sure you tell them that you're listening to us and if you're new to listening to us uh, which some of you probably are make sure you go check out some of our old interviews those are a bit more timeless Uh, they're not as much about current events so it's okay you don't have to listen to uh, episodes that um, recall uh, game 43 45 and 46 you you might not care as much what we had to say back then but listening to scott campbell kyle wellwood grant fuhrer rick ralph hustler grant klitson an interview with uh, vessa linen kirk keelback Leah Hextall, Sean Tierney, the late Randy Turner, Ace Burpee, Marat, and even a trivia episode are all things you can go back and check out. And I know I missed a couple other ones there too. So uh, definitely go check that out. Again, thanks uh, to all of you for listening to us. Don't know if I mentioned you could find us at jetcentric at gmail.com or at jetcentric on the Twitter. Follow us there. And uh, we try and be semi-interesting. Also, big thanks to all the people that have been listening. We know that some players have checked us out and some True North employees listen to us and other local media. So, yeah, like I said, listenership is up. And a special shout-out to those working over at the Breezy Bend Golf and Country Club. Anyhow, I told you what this episode is about. Let's already get to it. Always feels like should start off with some sort of intro, and this one's getting long. So this is it. Let's go. Okay. Hey, welcome everybody to episode, uh, whatever episode this is, of the Jet Center podcast. I'm Mike, uh, and we have a roundtable for you today. Uh, with me on this roundtable is uh, AJ and Chris. How's it going, guys? Good, good. What's up? What's up? Long time no talk. Uh, <laughs> a triangular roundtable, the three of us. The triangle of doom. Uh, I'm sure that we all brought in our uh, just... Just an article, an article of uh, Jets content to talk about, right? We all brought a little something, yep. (laughs) Speak for yourself. I have nothing to add. (laughs) I'm hoping to kind of fake it till I make it. So, so, uh, yeah, that makes at least two of the three of us. So, yeah, AJ, you can bring the content. Me and Chris will just talk about it. Okay, well, first we're going to start off with 30 to 50 feral hogs. We're going to... Um, talk about uh, if the team should look at adding those guys to the team, or uh, are they should just leave them behind. And well, we what... did lose one of our feral hogs in uh, Brandon Tanev, so R.I.P. that guy. <laughs> Chris, what were you going to say? I was going to say I'm just still trying to figure out what table I'm sitting at. So, <laughs> yep. hey, actually, no. Here, here's something I thought would be kind of fun to. Uh, we didn't actually say that we we're going to talk about this, but I was interested. Um, there's been like a leak from what was it, Ice Athletics or Ice Aesthetics, about what the new Heritage jersey is going to look like. I, I tweeted out the time frame of when they did the first Heritage Classic jersey in uh, 2016, and we've passed that mark. I mean, that was the first Heritage Classic, but uh, so now we're at sort of the time frame, that window where we're going to start getting closer and closer to when they're going to re- release this jersey. I'm not sure if it'll be once the season starts or, or beforehand, but from what you've seen, I know that you guys have obviously seen the mock-up that uh, we had done, but uh, what did you guys think of that that uh, mock-up jersey that Aesthetics had uh, tweeted out, the parent leak? Maybe I'll oh, say, Mike, I, you can go first. Yeah. <laughs> you got to. Otherwise, we all. My plan is time. just to disagree with whatever Chris says because I haven't seen okay, it. Okay, yeah. Okay, Chris, you go first then. 
I like them. I mean, um, there's only so much you can do if you're going to stick with that generation. So, and I think it changes the home or away that we're probably going to have. So the colors will change. Got to go with the blue. Um, yeah, I think it looks great. And I imagine as a uniform, we've talked about this before, especially with the aviator stuff. Uh, once you get into a uniform situation, it change, often changes the look of a jersey too. So I'll be anxious to see them. I'm always excited. I buy every one. So for me, it doesn't really matter. Um, but it's just a matter of how much I like them, if I like them more or less or whatnot. So, But they look good. And I will say much. that uh, if Chris is excited and optimistic, I am um, pessimistic and fearful of these jerseys coming out. So uh, just a lot of bad vibes about the jerseys from my end. Okay, well, I, I would say I'm excited but fearful then. I'll go right right down the middle, <laughs> both of you guys. No, I actually, uh, I, I like the look of it. I'm kind of with you with you there, Chris. I think it's, uh, from from what I've seen, obviously, if it's something within that realm, uh, I'm going to be fine with that. I'll probably end up buying that jersey. That'll be my third Jets jersey. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of excited about it, and I hope that they wear it a lot. And I'm uh, the Aviator, I mean, every, that grew on it, probably everybody. I still don't really like the jersey. It still seems incomplete, but uh, whatever. It's I, I'd rather see the, the, the concept one. I'd rather see that a lot more than the Aviator. I hope that one sort of goes the way of the Dodo eventually. Well, well I... Would... I... Yeah, I I like the I like it. I don't love it, but I like it. I think it's a decent uh, a decent uh, hockey jersey and uniform. Again, is it a little plain? Sure, um, but I mean, it, I told you guys before when uh, I used to have all my jerseys hanging in my uh, in my basement. It's always the one that caught my eye when I went downstairs. It was the one that I always was drawn to. So I, I never had a big problem with it. I like it, and uh, the numbering is really nice. Anyway. That's old old news. Yeah. Well, um, right, I got some new I got some new news for you guys. Uh, I thought we I thought you guys wanted to tackle a little Jets update. I mean, just to bring everyone up to speed. I think a lot of uh, the Jets fans have been kind of half asleep here. Um, hopefully not during this podcast, but uh, more in terms of just the summer and everything like that, right? Yeah, it's yeah. been uh, been pretty quiet news wise. Um. So okay. Uh, let's go back here to when did everyone stop paying attention to the Jets? I guess probably, probably everyone was able to retain interest like through the Truba trade and the entry draft. I'm guessing, right? Something yeah, like yeah. that. So, July so 2nd. yeah, I guess. Do you guys have any? Do you guys have any? Uh, like, do you guys have like a, a a quick thought about the Truba trade and stuff? Have you, do you, have you guys had your put your two cents on that trade yet? I think we did. I think we did. We did an episode about it uh, right after, if I'm not mistaken, when he left. But uh, Mike, I didn't tell you this. I told Chris uh, this earlier, and it's in actually the intro, which I've already recorded for this episode. Um, but the, our listenership is actually up quite a bit since the playoffs ended, like uh, significantly. So it seems like a lot of people, even though there hasn't been a lot of news, people are pretty thirsty to kind of hear some new interesting uh, content, so we'll try and give that to them. So the the demand is out there. The news has been sparse overall. But uh, going back to your question about the Truba trade, uh, that's it's still a huge fail uh, on my part. I do, do not like it. Uh, interviewed Sean Tierney the other day, and he basically called Pyonk or Pyonk or whatever his <laughs> name is, and and <laughs> sorry, and Kulikov and Potato. He basically effects. that would be a yeah Pyonk. <laughs> Doink. Exactly. I don't know. So it looks like like Pyoink the Clown or Doink the Clown from uh, wrestling. That's it's spelled the same way, right? Anyhow, I still it's think uh, his funniest name is Neil, though. I no offense to listeners named Neil. I just get <laughs> such a. I've never even thought about that before. <laughs> Neil. I don't. No man, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> Anyhow, Sorry, so, so you were giving some commentary. No, no. I was, I was a little bit, but uh, if people have listened to the older episodes, they would have heard this anyhow. But um, I mean, th- this it goes back to the Brian Little trade or Brian Little signing for me. Uh, it was a bad signing at the time, and in that they've had to replace Brian Little twice now with um, Stasny and with Hayes, and then we end up getting our own draft pick back in the Truba trade, which should be a draft pick that we wouldn't have, shouldn't have had to send in the first place. I, ideally, the Truba trade should have looked like getting a first-round pick on top of our pick that we used on Hainola because Pionk or Pionk or whatever is uh, – he's not even 
uh, a thing. I mean, if it's one for one, if you're just looking at those two, it's basically like letting Truba walk for nothing because he's easily replaceable. And uh, so, and the and the draft pick was ours. So in in my kind of uh, and this isn't even hindsight. I know people accuse me of it, but I, I would have said it at the time. I mean, it's uh, recorded. Uh, feels like uh, they should have just signed him for two years in arbitration. We'd still have Truba this year and then literally let him walk for nothing because uh, that's pretty much what we got for it. And I know people are going to argue about the Heinola trade, but that was literally our own pick that we had to give away to replace Brian Little because of a bad contract. So, uh, yeah, we should have we should have two first-rounders this year and still have Truba signed for two years. That's my unpopular opinion. So how about, uh, how about you, Chris? Um, I just want to reiterate what you said, and it doesn't really have to do with Jacob Truba is about the fact that we've had to replace Brian Little twice after signing a guy to a six-year contract extension. Um, I know it's hindsight, sort of, but we all, I mean, there's Arctic Ice episodes of, of me talking about the Little uh, signing and Roddy and Alan about how not good it is. And um, so we have the receipts. Um, and then you go and you, and you replace him twice, two trade deadlines in a row. I just don't know what you're thinking on a draft and develop team. Anyway, the trade is terrible, in my opinion. This was coming to a head three years ago. We knew this was happening. I don't care if your window was open, your window was closed, your window is whatever. You need to maximize value when this is your strategy is to draft and develop. Every NHL team draft and develops. We talk about that almost every episode, but it's how well you do it. And not maximizing a top 10, 15 defenseman, I don't know what he is, in the NHL, um, value-wise, obviously not player-wise, it's ridiculous. You have to get maximum value for him, and you've basically, like you just said, AJ, you got nothing for him. And uh, that's just not acceptable when that's... He's your number one asset, maybe your number one defenseman, and you get you walk away with nothing. It's unacceptable, and three years ago, they could have traded him. There was all sorts of rumors about him for uh, Travis Hamanick. Yes, we w- it would have cost us a couple of years, but it also was a guaranteed re-sign at the time. There's also rumors, I don't know how much they were coming from our side, about him for Taylor Hall, him for Jordan Eberle, and you end up with a number seven defenseman, probably. It's just completely unacceptable. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, I really can't add anything that you guys didn't say. I, I think it basically was just a a really disappointing way to kick off what uh yeah i don't know it just seems like a little bit of a um, uh, kind of a meh summer i think in general like the truba trade that was on june 17th uh we had the entry draft which i think you know if you could kind of put on blinders to like us having to trade back for our own first round pick, I, I think that generally the sense is actually positive about how our draft went so that's that's good uh hey nola especially seems like a like the Jets were able to nab like a pretty high upside, uh, like a likely contributor, I think, in the first round, and 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 they got good values after that. Um, what do you guys make of? I think on July first, basically the Jets pulled the move where they um, their marquee signing was Nathan Beaulieu, uh, but on the flip side, they also let Tyler Myers and Brandon Tanev uh, walk to sign with other teams. What did you guys make of that? Love it, loved all of it. Beaulieu is great depth. And Tanev was uh, highly overrated while he was here. Uh, we have the receipts to say that. And Myers, too. I mean, uh, there's no way the Jets could uh, could or should have afforded the amount of money that he got. They could have gotten, like I said, Truba for less money had they signed him for the two years in arbitration. Would have got him for a little bit less uh, than what Myers even signed for. So, um, yeah, it's good to let those guys walk. Uh, the last episode, like I said, that I did interview with uh, Sean Tierney, uh, he was very... Uh, had had glowing things to say about Bolu. Actually, he said he was like probably the unsung. No, I can't remember the wording that it used, but I, I asked uh, about an underrated player on the Jets, and he he had very good things to say about him. And then Myers and Tanev, he says, yeah, you you definitely let those guys walk. And there's no way that the Jets should or could have had made those signings. So I think honestly, the the forward core now of the Jets is as good as it's ever been. I'm not really sure. I mean, even if as much as people like Tanev, I think you have to admit that he's replaceable when you start talking about putting Veselin in on the third line. Um, there's a, a first first overall or first round pick. Um, if if that's who you're putting in his place, you, you can't really argue with 
with that change. So I think the forward core looks really good. Uh, the D definitely has some question marks. Um, but uh, I think the biggest question mark actually with the D now, not that this was specifically your question, is how they're going to be used. Because if if in our top six we have Boteto on one line and Kulikov on another pair and Pionk on another one, I mean, that could really hamstring this team. If uh, Niku and Poolman and Bullyu are all, and, you know, obviously Buff and Morrissey are in your top six, that looks a lot better. But uh, I think they still still need to do a, an ad. Apparently, there's a, a Jake Gardner on the on the market too. So we'll we'll see. And Shattenkirk too signed for pretty much the Kulikov buyout money. So the, if we buy out Kulikov, we could have signed signed him for that. Not to say that Shattenkirk wanted to come here, but uh, yeah, uh, it seems like they probably could have worked worked the numbers, massaged the numbers. So yeah, anyhow, that's Where, what would, I think. You, yeah. What would you think? I just want to see what do you think, Chris. Um, yeah, I think Boyu is, again, that's, that's a good move. I think we're dealing with, you know, a lot of times when we do this, it sounds like a broken record because what you're dealing with is a coach that put in, you know, Joe Morrow and Ben Sherratt over Boyu in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. And, and near the end, I know Boyu played, I think, you know, eight or nine of the last games, um, but there's all sorts of that stuff going on again. Same as what AJ's talking about with the forward group. I think you, you have uh, either Mason Appleton, who's, a, I think, just as good of a player, if not better than Tanev, to replace him. Or you can, as we've talked about, have four real thick lines, uh, if not three, with Vestalainen in there. And really, you know, try and work other teams. But how are we going to deploy these guys? If we're not breaking up Shifley and Wheeler in training camp how excited are we about this season um you know we have all the depth in the world we've had forward wise everything we can ask for and and it's tough to see that there's not the effort seemingly put in and same goes with the defense like i i think aj you said that perfectly if if niku poolman boyu um are part of this defense core next year you can at least be optimistic if you're running Kulikov and, and some of those other guys out there, man, it's going to be a long year. Like, really, like, I'm talking, are we making the playoffs long year? Now, um, the Jets did hear your concerns, Chris, and uh, in late July, they actually answered you, and they actually signed Neil Pionk to a two-year deal, uh, as well as Andrew Kopp to a two-year deal. So uh, I think that'll probably shut you up for a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, oh yeah by the way and they haven't signed patrick line and kyle connor they remain without contracts so yeah we got to get to that <laughs> i guess i don't actually have too much to say about it you guys can talk about it they'll get signed i don't really care i mean yeah what i mean do you, do you guys have any thoughts on that like it's kind of a it's kind of a it seems like a chaotic time to be an nhl team looking to sign these rfa players uh it seems like there's a market shift going on right i mean what do we do you guys have any chris do you have a sense on on line a or connor like have you been hearing any rumors on if either are close to signing or anything i don't know anything about that and a lot of times um because i'm not a super detailed fan i don't know a lot about kind of the contracts and how they play out in this and that my speculation that i can figure the only way they can make this work is if they bridge both of them and then kind of play those things out. Um, I don't think that that's what they'll do, but as far as I can tell, if they're still trying to win this year, they're going to have to get those two guys on lower contracts for the next two years. If they think that this window is closing, then they might try and do one or the other. Um, I've had the conversation with a few people. I think if you take... Ehlers, Line A, and Connor as a threesome, and you can only keep two. Um, the obvious choice are Line A and Ehlers. Um, fans might disagree. Um, the Jets seem to disagree, as we heard all for about two months that Ehlers was on the trading block, even though Ehlers is the best all round of the three and has the team friendly deal. It makes no logical sense that he would be the guy that you're trying to trade out of the, the three of them. Get rid of him. Um, I know he hasn't scored an 18 playoff game, so he's garbage. So maybe that's that's all that matters. But 
Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about how NHL contracts work to be super detailed on it, but I think the move, in my opinion, if you can only keep two of the three is, is line A and Ehlers. And I, with a little bit of, only a little bit of research, I think it's a bridge of at least one of them, if not both, if you're trying to, you know, get a defenseman this year and, and make one yeah. more run with this group. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you guys what, so far this offseason, so far, what has surprised you the most uh, about the offseason? I'm going to throw it to you first, AJ. Um, just, has, has anything surprised you? What's been the most surprising thing? Uh, um, you know what? Sorry, I, I said I wasn't going to say anything about the Connor Liney thing. I'm just going to say this. After hearing Chris, I'm like, oh, I agree and disagree with some of those things. I, I see Connor signing the long-term deal right now only because I think his value will never be higher. He got to play with Shifley and Wheeler, and he has those last two years to look at. And, uh, you know, if they start breaking up that top line, that might affect his production or make him look like just another one of the strong forwards instead of some uh, slightly overvalued fan favorite. Um, so I think uh, him and his agent probably know that and should take the money now. And, and Line A will probably bet on himself after a down year. So I think Line A gets a bridge. Connor gets the long term. Um, most surprising. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm going to tell you one thing. This isn't going to be quite as Jets related, but I, I, well, it is, but I went to the development camp and uh, there kind of saw and met and talked with some former guests on the, the show and some media people and whatnot. And uh, I was actually really surprised. I'll just kind of do a little shout out. There's one person in particular that probably doesn't, doesn't need to watch the Jets as closely as I did. Um, I always watch all these little ridiculous details, but I was really impressed with Sean Reynolds. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all of his hockey takes or anything like that, but um, he was like just fixated. Like he watched every time he was having conversations with me or with other people, he watched everything. And, and a lot of people, you know, whether I like them or not, you know, in, in local media and stuff, I can't say the same about, and that's kind of a big thing for me Would people talk about, Oh yeah, we do all this work and go to dev camp and, you know, always following the Jets. It's like, well, how much are you following? Because, you know, I know there's one media member that's not in Winnipeg anymore that um, I don't know if they ever watched anything because I would go to things and I watch all the time. And I think, and I think that's important. Uh, I think it adds um, credibility for me when I hear those people speak, even if I disagree, it feels like uh, they're coming from an honest place. So um, that was just a little shout out to Sean, Sean Reynolds. I thought uh, he did a really good job of, of watching i mean good job but i say he doesn't have to follow the jets because he works for sportsnet so he's not uh, a tsn right like sort of the the home whatever the home team obviously tsn people in winnipeg are just supposed to only really talk and think about the jets but uh sean i guess being a manitoba boy was uh was really into it so i i thought that was really cool so that's uh not quite related to your question but that's my answer I piggyback off that. Um, I spoke to somebody in the media recently, and they told me exactly the same thing about how basically none of the media watches anything, none of them research anything, and none of them ask any questions. And they all just ask the same bullshit question after a game and before a game. One question, and then six of them write the same article. And uh, so that's good to hear that we know there's at least two people that are thinking for themselves and, and making their own choices, whether, again, whether you agree with them or not. Um, that that's good to hear. So yeah, and I think I think that's yeah. what you, not you just, want. Though, right? No, you I'm not trying to. Like, go ahead. I'm not trying to slag. I'm not trying to slag the other guys. But when you hear it firsthand and secondhand and firsthand, it, it's it's frustrating. I'd love to have the access to be able to actually watch and see and form my own opinions. Um. So anyway, yeah, that's cool. Um, as yeah. far as any sort of surprises or anything like that. You know what's sad? I'm surprised that we're in our, what, eighth off season, and it's the same old, same old. Mr. Shovel Day offs at the cabin. There's no news. Um, there, I, I don't expect them to sign, uh, you know, John Tavares every summer, but, like, let's go here. Like, what are we doing? You're not getting better if you're, if you're not adding to the puzzle and uh, or adding pieces and everything's subtraction again we can uh, probably all agree that there is some addition to the sub by subtraction this year uh, with the players we lost but you got to be doing something and it just always feels like there's nothing going on and we're probably 
I don't know the math, but I'm guessing we're four weeks from training camp. Yeah, five. Like that. Yeah. Well, Fan Fest is September 14th. So yeah, I, so bet, we're... I bet you that we're what one month from the uh, first exhibition game or something. Because when we record this, this is August 8th. Like they yeah. start the exhibition games basically like on the second day of training camp these days. Well, September 14th is fan is like fan the carnival fan fest or whatever, and they that's the second day of training camp. So yeah, we're four and a half weeks or whatever from from camp, and we are two of our four best players don't have contracts, and uh, <laughs> and we're got a gaping hole on defense. I think it's interesting, Chris, what you said too about like nothing really happens. Obviously, there's these little things that happen. Um, Mike, you mentioned the bull you signing. Uh, but we also know the things that haven't got done. But I mean, players leaving, that's not that's not a, an act, right? You don't do anything. They just leave, right? So there, there's nothing there. But I think it's funny sometimes the stuff you mentioned, Chris, I think brought up the Ehlers thing about the chat, him getting traded. I wonder, like, where does this stuff come from? Where, like, that just died down? Like, that, that wasn't a thing? We, that never was going to happen? How, how was that, like, a big thing all on social media? Everybody talking about that. It was on the radio. And all of a sudden, it's like, no, yeah, that's definitely, like, that story is dead. Like, well, why was it a story in the first place? Like, who said what? How, how did this start? And then even the Kulikov buyout, the fact that we went through two windows without a Kulikov buyout, and everyone's like, oh, this seems like this makes sense, and maybe we'll do this, and we'll free up some money this year, and whatnot. And it's just like, nope, nothing nothing happens. I, like, I, I know that people argue that uh, people are just starving for, like, a story, or they just want to find something, but some of the stories are sort of built in reality. I mean, it, the idea of moving Ehlers was for defensive help. So if it's not Ehlers, you know, maybe I, I think if they're going to get, you know, try for, for that, they should look at moving Roslovic instead because I don't think he's going to get used very much. And he's not our second line center of the, the future likely anymore. Um, but, yeah, I, I just wonder how this, all, like all the talk kind of happens and it all makes sense that it happens and you think there'll be some wheels turning, but then really so little comes of anything, right? It just seems like, so many rosters in the NHL are in this holding pattern and just that's the reality. And that's really, it's been like that since uh, before the Jets came back to Winnipeg. But I think maybe us as fans, we're kind of just noticing it more now because the novelty has, has worn off and, and I don't mean that in a, a bad way or anything. Right. But um, you know, I mean the NHL with this salary cap and everyone's, you know, I mean, like so many players have no trade clauses. Like tra- trades are super cool and interesting. Even like, even like a a, a spicy uh, Nikolai Ehlers trade rumor was probably like the talk radio show here is probably talking about that for like an entire week straight. Um, Absolutely. But it's not like, you know, <laughs> I mean, like the NBA had all this drama. And, like I don't follow it maybe as much as like as maybe you do, Chris. But um, but uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes just look a little bit kind of jealously to to uh maybe the nba because they get they get a lot of the off off court or off ice drama so much than the nhl does because i mean i love i love like you know i there's plenty of other things in life that i'm interested in and stuff but i mean yeah i mean like we're all still like super interested in the jets and everything we're kind of just like come on give us something to work with here right as fans yeah i mean some of it i think is our appetite but also I think especially in this city, a lot of those rumors don't just come from nowhere. Um, you can tell, uh, AJ and I talked about this on the podcast a lot two years ago, how um, at development uh, camp or training camp, the fan forum, they were pushing the, the Brendan Lemieux, Brendan Lemieux, every second sentence. Um, I think at the end of the year, they were pushing, I'm trying to remember what they were pushing for next year already. Uh, a couple of the media guys wrote articles about the same thing. I can't remember what it was, but it all, well, I guess the Ehlers thing and something else. So it's all coming from somewhere. Um, again, as I found out, they also do just kind of use each other's ideas and, and that's the flavor of the day or the week. Um, but at the same time, those things are coming from somewhere, uh, whether it's in the organization or, you know, from each other. Oh yeah, this makes sense that Ehlers should get traded for a defenseman. Um, there's some sort of smoke anyway, um, and some sort of fire. And sometimes trades are close, and then they fall apart, right? Um, or maybe 
people come to their senses and go, yeah, that's not the guy we should be trading. Uh, so, yeah. I you hope know, maybe the maybe the push maybe the pushback on the honestly just speculation, but maybe pushback from the the reaction you're getting from your fan base and from uh, other general managers about yeah we're shopping Ehlers, especially seeing what some of the other trades were. They're going yeah we don't need to do all this for a defenseman. They don't have the value they did and this sort of stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Kind of getting into this, uh, we wanted to. Uh, sorry, back up uh, two seconds. There was um, talking about it being a little bit down. I can't remember exactly the words that you said, Mike, but just weren't things aren't happening. Uh, I shared, or yeah, I think I shared that tweet with you guys the other day about they're looking to get some hire people to help manage players' accounts or something, right? Because basically, NHL is off season and off ice stuff is all pretty hush hush it's pretty boring the players accounts you know they got 30,000 followers and basically they might uh, you know retweet bell let's talk and uh you know some charity <laughs> once a year and that's it right like they're and a i don't know why picture. anybody fo- yeah i don't know why anybody follows a player like they don't interact they don't do anything and now they're actually fishing to get people to help manage their accounts or help uh them spice it up which i think is a little bit funny because uh, i mean how how a player wouldn't want to interact or say something or have a personality of some sort and i think it was our, our friend katie who said something to the effect of uh, it, trying to make nhl players look interesting would be a full-time job <laughs> so I thought, you're totally that was, man, uh, NHL, the only reason nhl players have twitter accounts is to tweet hashtag bell let's talk and then hook up with chicks via dm that's all that's the only reason yeah. they have twitter uh, unless you're unless you're Vander Kane and you like to troll and then everybody gets on your case because you're actually good at Twitter. Um, man, that guy know. actually used a, he was he was running a business. That was like actually interesting and good and stuff, man. Totally. He was I think that's a great it, example. I, I everything just for the record, everything we say about Vander Kane comes with an asterisk because of the stuff he did with women in Buffalo and potentially the stuff he's done in San Jose with women. Um those are all accusations so whatever whatever but the the stuff he did in winnipeg and the social media stuff that he does and his on ice performances is fine by me and he should do more of the social media stuff if he didn't do the stuff that he's alleged (laughs) of doing (laughs) way to put it out there and then rein it right back in (laughs) qualify it if he really is that big of a dick bag then screw him but yeah for sure yeah i agree um so one thing that uh we were going to talk about was uh, i guess there's an athletic article today and it's been about a year it's uh, a year almost to the day that the uh, prospects within the system were ranked by Corey Pronman. So I'm expecting to see that in the next week or two. So we can probably talk about that in the future, but uh, Dom uh, Lachishan from the athletic uh, did something where he rated all the front offices of NHL teams and the jets came in very milk toast at 14th in the league. So pretty much right in the middle. Uh, their overall Playoff, ranking, I believe, I believe their overall ranking was a 3.5 or a 3.6. I can't read my writing out of five. So like just pretty, pretty average. And I thought it was interesting because um, if you look at it, it shows sort of the public view of the Jets uh, and they talk about draft and develop and they talk, uh, you know, kind of break it down uh, what they're, if they're good at trading, all that. And uh, obviously the fan um, view of the team was much higher than the public. And I, I think that's interesting. Chris and I, we've talked about this before and I think to, truly be honest about your team i mean fan you know is short for fandomonium i think i don't know whatever it's uh our fanatic right uh, and i think sometimes uh, like we chris and i when we talk we said we don't want to really be like that we want to be able to value, evaluate our team fairly and i think when the team when the fans of a team continually overvalue their team and i'm sure this is the case everywhere it should tell you something about absorbing information from outside of your market i mean uh, everybody who's probably listening to this or follows the jets probably only focus on the jets i know there's other people that have a secondary team or the team that their dad cheered for or whatever it is right but uh, for the most part most people are just thinking about the jets i know i do i don't really care about the players on the other team i i watch them when they come here i know a little bit about it but i'm not you know i don't watch hockey games unless the jets are in it um and i think that's a lot of people's experience but then the problem is if you're just absorbing only local media and that, you kind of get in this this little world where you think that we're the only team that has prospects, we're the only team that drafts and develops, 
uh, everything that we do is the right idea because we did it because it's our team and we want to support our guys. And uh, I just don't think that's that's really wise. And Dom kind of looks looked at it and kind of showed us like I don't know. Basically, we're we're kind of average. You know, good at some things, not as good as others. Probably bad at some. And uh, are yeah, you so telling I just me to... that are you telling me that thirty the other NHL teams draft players on June twenty first? Uh, I thought we just got Billy Hainola, and that was just a leg up on everybody. This is what I was. <laughs> this is what I was told. The, you know, the, none of the other teams have even heard of Finland. They yeah, don't exactly. even know it's Dutch <laughs> turf, man. Yeah, turf. but even like you see it during the season, where all of a sudden people are like, "Oh, uh, you know, on local media, you hear oh, Shifley in the heart conversation." I'm like, uh, Kucherov, like, what? What are we talking about? Shifley is, an, an, this is an anti-Shifley, but within the scope of the NHL, there's. 20 better players, right? That, I'm just throwing out a number, but I mean, I think we probably all name name a bunch and that's not a, a knock on him or any other good players. And then you talk about, you know, the Jets candidate for this and that. And I go, what? This? No, there, no, there's so many other good players and I'm not even paying attention to them. So I think uh, as a fan, you should kind of, you know, try and expand your horizons, try and absorb some stuff from outside of it because it seems like um, most people outside of, like I said, Winnipeg kind of see us as average. So I was just going to read this last uh, quote too. I didn't want to read everything that uh, Dom had posted just because uh, go to the athletic yourself and pay for it. But um, he said, at this point, I'm not sure the Jets are a contender anymore. And that's a direct result of the team not making the most of its current window. Patience works to an extent. The time to be proactive is now. And that's, I think, sums it up pretty well when you look at some of the things that they've done and not done. And um, yeah. I, uh, so I, after that huge ramble, I was going to get your guys' thoughts on uh, the, the Jets front office. So maybe, Mike, uh, we'll start with you, and uh, you could uh, kind of play off of that and see what you think. Um, well, I think you knew, I, I, I was being a little facetious before when I kind of interrupted you and stuff about the draft, but I actually <laughs> really agree that it's very few people actually like watch and follow the, the whole league-wide trends. I think it's really hard to to actually follow a team in depth, but also follow in anywhere close to the, to the same extent the other teams in the league. So I think that was a really good point. Um, I definitely noticed from what you shared this Dom's athletic article, it definitely highlights a drop in confidence uh, among Jets fans from, from previous years to this year. So I thought that was actually really notable. Uh, and obviously also well-founded because like you said, we, yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah, like the offseason got started off by us trading away uh, Jacob Truba for our first-round draft pick back. And that was preceded by a disappointing first-round playoff pick. And that was preceded by, like, four months of suck. And, yeah, so I think, I think, that, that's, I think that that's good that, the, that I think that since the respondents are having a drop-off in uh, confidence. So I think that's fair. Um, I, I do take a little from what i can see i actually to me i'm looking at the public opinion of the fan base and if, if i'm seeing it right here i know this is great on an like on an audio podcast but i'm looking at an image and it says uh if the small numbers are the rank uh as opposed to the grades if the small numbers are just the rankings i actually see, see it mirroring the public opinion the public opinion pretty well so i so anyways i don't know if and i'm thinking that's probably chalked up to this is like the athletic jets fan subscri subscribers that are Maybe just like they have, they have maybe a bit more sane heads going on. But uh, I don't know if that, I don't know if that last part made any sense there. But yeah, basically, uh, drop in confidence. I feel it, um, and uh, and I think that a lot of other Jets fans in the study are feeling it. Yeah, I don't know. I'll throw it over to Chris. That's just my takeaway from that. Well, I think for me, and I've said it since I've been on any podcast. I think um, loyalty is going to kill this franchise. And you're seeing loyalty where we've had the same defensive coach and goalie coach for eight years. We've had the same general manager for eight years, like him or hate him. That's got to be one of the top two or three tenured in that those positions. Um, and so those things are going to wear out. You're going to wear out your welcome no matter what, no matter how successful or in this case, not successful your team is. Um and then you get into the fan, like you, you guys are talking about, about fan confidence and, and finally realizing that maybe things aren't so great. Um, and that kind of leads us into something else that we were going to talk about anyway. 
um, when fans start getting unconfident and not, or they're not confident in, in what you're doing as an organization, guess what happens? They start they going, to, st- they stop showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, those things usually coincide at the exact same time, right? Your team starts being shitty at the time. Here's what we've talked, what I've talked about since day one. They had four free years at the beginning to be as shitty as they wanted. And they stuck with Andrew Ladd and they stuck with Evander Kane for too long and they stuck with Zach Bogosian for too long and they stuck with maybe even Dustin Bufflin too long. And they should have traded all of them when they got here. They should have picked two of them out of the eight or nine of them, including Burmistrov, Pavlik, whatever, and they should have traded all of them. Because they, they had sellouts for five years guaranteed. And they should have just sucked rather than pretending to be fake good. But they didn't. <laughs> And then they were okay, whatever, the third year, whatever it was. And then they went to that series in Anaheim against Anaheim. They were a good team. Whatever Maurice did, turned them around. They had a good team. They're a better team that year than they were last year. Um, But they should have just rebuilt. If you're going to rebuild, they should have rebuilt. And they didn't. And now that's going to cost them because now this is where the fans are running out of money, as we all probably thought they were going to. Um, so you're losing people. And so now's the real shitty time to get shitty. If the hockey team's going to get bad, I don't see a reason why they're going to get bad, but you better resign your 40, 50, 60 goal score real quick. If you want people to keep coming, right? You better stop signing Brian little to six year contracts and start trading Brian little. And you better start trading Blake Wheeler two years ago, um, and <laughs> trading Jacob Truba two years ago. As to not get into these predicaments, I was t- telling somebody the other day, this team is a small market team, draft and develop all that shit. They need to do everything really good. And what they do right now, they do about 85% of everything really good. And the other 15% is garbage. So if you're a small market team, <laughs> seriously, if you're a small market team, but everything has to be Everything has to be perfect if you want to win. The Oakland A's and the Florida Marlins are a perfect example of that. Those are two teams that do almost everything really good. But the, the last couple of things, they can't flip and figure it out. So they, get, they, they draft the best players. They have all these almost good teams for a couple of years, and then they got to trade everybody. And this is what we're turning into. You have to have the best analytics department for cheap. You have to have the best... Uh, physical coaches and and health people. We don't have that stuff. You can see that our analytics are garbage. Our injuries and our injury rates are not great. You know those things. Those are where you're going to make your money, and that's where we're dropping the ball. Our professional defensive scouting is is <laughs> whosever job that is is the worst in the NHL. Whoever does that job, that needs to be fixed. <laughs> Sorry. So, okay. Well, I'm okay. just saying. So the rest, I'm just saying they do so many things really, really well. So I'm trying to be positive about that side of it. But you're yeah. not. No, you're, right. To, you're right. You're not going to get over the hump if those other ten or fifteen percent is garbage. And unfortunately, it seems to me some of those things are not very good, and that's where we're losing it. And again, that's going to affect what I started talking about, which is. Physically, people sitting in those seats. And that's scary. That's really scary because when they came back, do you guys remember they figured that they would be sold out for 30 years with how big the wait list was? Really? Which, yeah. Yeah, 30 years is a long time. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns within in a lot of areas of life in 30 years. Okay, well, I'll I'll tell you what Uh, I know. But uh, but no, I mean, I, I would not even doubt what you're saying, Chris, though, that that I'm sure that they were looking at that arena and just being like, hey, it's a smaller arena. We're going to get we're going to get a couple decades use out of it. And man, are we going to charge a high ticket price because it's the only game in town and they're just going to have supply and demand work in their favor. So, yeah, 7,000 or 8,000 or 10,000 people on a waiting list. So no problem. And how many. But where's that waiting list at now? Like, I w- that's what I was going to say was the, the biggest surprises of the summer for me were. Number one, I'm sorry, but I'm surprised that Matthew Crow, I love him to death. I'm surprised he wasn't traded uh, uh, but, uh, or hasn't been traded yet. But, um, but, so I'm relieved that he hasn't. But I was very surprised that the waiting list uh, took a huge dive, right? Like, like uh, 
people who were what was it in our or, uh, brown uh his partner like bumped up like like almost a thousand spots or something like i hope i'm not getting that number way wrong but it was i know it was crazy yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what I know about that. There's, uh, it was probably a year and a half ago, and anybody can do this if you want. This, this, this isn't you know, some insider information. I had emailed uh, my ticket rep because I have season tickets right now, and I just emailed and said, hey, uh, if I know somebody wants to be on the, the waiting list, what are they going to be at? And they said they were 2,500 if you went on the waiting list. That was a year and a half ago. I can guarantee you that the waiting list is under 2,000 now. So anyone who keeps want, uh, wanting to say, oh, it's 8,000 8, people, it's not. It's, it, there's, it's nowhere near that. Because first of all, a lot of people um, wanted to stop shelling out the money because you have to pay $100 every year to be on it. So right now people are $800 in. So now if, if fans are starting to lose interest, do you just cut your losses? I've actually seen people putting that on, online saying, uh, maybe I'll just, you know, Whatever, I lost $800 being on this waiting list. You know, I got 15% off on a couple jerseys or something for being on the waiting list and, you know, got Heritage Classic tickets. So there you go. They got a little perk out of it. But really, uh, the fact that people have to pay to be on the waiting list is kind of the death of the waiting list in a way too. But also, like Chris was saying, just people, the confidence is down. The the novelty obviously has worn off too, but just on a, on a bigger, more sustainable scale, the novelty was never going to be the driving force forever and ever Oh man, right? It was going to be, had to be the team was good and that we believed in it. So yeah, I guarantee the waiting list is probably, I'm just judging by those numbers and what I've heard from other people, I'm going to say 1500 or less. And people aren't necessarily being added to it every day. People are dropping off quicker than they're being added because people don't want to keep paying a hundred dollars a year. So to, to, to not get oh, tickets. And then, when, and then when they have the opportunity to get tickets, it's like, do you really want to? How many people do you know uh, and for all of our listeners and uh, you guys, how, how many people do you know were on the waiting list, got an opportunity to get tickets and they got tickets versus how many people do you know had tickets and did not renew them or will not be renewing them? You know, plus minus isn't the greatest stat, AJ. I don't know if you <laughs> oh. that. Tickets, tickets for 60 friends. Tickets <laughs> for 60. Um, how many tickets for 60? Um, no, but I, I mean, uh, this. That's what it is. I know so many people who, who don't have the tickets anymore. So and I, I don't know I many think that's people. That's a great comment. I think that's I think that's fair. Honestly, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, and I'm not I trying to be a jerk. What I'm like. Things things shift fast too. Like because a lot of this is like we all remember what it's like. And and okay, like part of this is, you know, things happen. Like we're eight years in, so there was a huge high uh, and and exuberance like that. Everybody felt basically like in the first few years. Um, but uh, but now you know time passes, things change. But we all remember what it was like in those first couple of years. Like you couldn't, you were like doing someone a huge favor if you were selling your season, like a pair of season tickets at face value. And I mean, like people were selling like, oh, Team Muslandi's coming back, like six hundred bucks a pair. You know, like like uh, people were the the value, the real value was far higher than uh, than than the posted value because there's a huge demand and. And part of that demand is just because everyone's like, oh, wow, like this is, boy, there sure is a high demand for this stuff. You know, this is very valuable. There's a short yeah. supply of this. And now uh, I think people have kind of slowly been realizing this. Like I remember even a couple of years ago, a friend of mine saying, you know what? I can go to any Jets game I want. I just go to the ticket window. And I was like, what? You can do that? Like I thought, I thought this whole reason of me having season tickets was, was, uh, was, was to have access. And yeah. so when people realize that, okay, actually you don't need to be, you know, be, have your season ticket share and stuff. You don't need, you can just, you can just go to the seat exchange and buy a ticket when you want to go to the game. All of a sudden, uh, the Jets aren't having dibs on your entertainment dollar and social calendar, uh, you know, in August of every year before every winter. And once you're not, once, once those dollars aren't allocated uh, in advance, or your time allocated in advance and your attention and energy, all of a sudden, well, you know what? You you go to the cabin for the weekend, or you go, you know, you you go to mini the wife wants to go to Minneapolis for the weekend, or you make other plans. You spend the money other ways. Yeah. And that and that that just all adds up to, to diminished uh, demand. I think you know, you're bang you... on with sorry, I think you're bang on with the contract thing, right? You have a three or five year contract, you're buying the tickets no matter what, no matter what. You have no choice and maybe you're not going. It doesn't matter though. The tickets are sold. 
where you're going to find um, 13,800 people in the stands instead of 15,000 is when you're not selling all your 13,000 season tickets. Um, we already saw empty seats last year. They're obviously paid for last year, but there's people not showing up or not being able to resell their tickets. By January this year, if they're anywhere close to this kind of the standings where we think they're going to be, there's going to be like legit unsold tickets there. And that's that's incredible to me after eight years. Well, and you add to it so that that affects other things, too. So, I mean, number one, I I I uh, believe that the Jets have like a very low number of Saturday night and uh, Friday night games, which like when when it's not like, oh, my God, the Jets are back and, and like it's impossible to get to go to a game. Mm-hmm. Then you start to care about things like, oh, OK, like I, you know, my family lives. Uh, 30 minutes outside of Winnipeg and like, oh, I know what it's, it's hard to drive the highway after a Tuesday after work, you know, I'm going to, it's it's a lot of, it's a different story, right? Uh, To go to a, to go to a, um, you know, those, those Sunday night games are, you know, the, 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 the people that we know that sell us beer at the games, they're always like, yeah, Sunday is by far always guaranteed dead. Um, So do you want to spend face value for a ticket or even, you know, these season ticket prices for that experience? A Sunday night game or a, or a Tuesday night game. Yeah. yeah, I don't think the Jets, the hockey club would have thought they would need to rally to the NHL and say, look, we need we need prime games. We need Thursday, Friday, Saturday games um, eight years in, uh, like the Bombers do, right? The Bombers have been doing that for years because of the cabin season and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's, it's scary, and, uh, you know, of all the things to be uh, cynical or – you know, negative about that. This isn't one of them because it could turn real quick. They have to, they have to stay good as, as on the ice. So people want to go and say, cause I think I would say it, maybe this is a fair statement right now. The ticket prices are fair because of the entertainment value. Um, but you're going to get to places if the team isn't good, where the, where the dollar amount isn't fair. Right. You know what I mean? Because um, Mike, you were saying earlier how six hundred dollars for uh, the Team Uslani game was a fair market value because people were willing to pay it. I think right now a ticket that you buy, whether it's on StubHub or at the box office or seat exchange, whatever, is a fair value because every game sold out basically. But if this team's out of the playoffs in January, that's when you're going to start losing value, and it's not going to be a fair value for a hundred and sixty dollars to sit in the two hundreds. Okay, I'm going to interject here, guys, because because uh, you guys have been going hard on this. But I'm going to just take it in a slightly different direction. And uh, actually, I think it's important, Chris, that you mentioned this isn't like trolling. This is like serious, like about the health of the team and everything. I mean, it's not necessarily our team. We don't own it or anything, so we and wouldn't feel the losses like, necessarily. Not, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. It's not dire, and it's not anything like that right now. It's just the start of a the same as we were concerned. Uh, you know, two years before. Truba got traded that maybe you might want to trade him <laughs> the same sort yeah. of thing it's not an immediate nobody needs to panic or or anything like that but yeah but it, but it, it's real it's a talking, talking point. That, and i think that's yeah. i think that's it's fair but uh i was going to talk about mike you brought it up the other day about the attendance of other sports teams in the city and i don't know if you're looking to see how necessarily it was affected by the jets but uh since the jets came back um the, the year before they came, or the summer that they came back, May 2011, the Gold Eyes had 285,000. Uh, that was their total attendance for the whole season. I'm not sure exactly how many games they played, so I'm making a bit of an assumption that they play the same amount of games now as they did then. Um, the last couple years have been closer to 220,000. That's $65,000, or sorry, 65,000 butts in the seat uh, down from since the Jets came back. Now we had the moves come back. Season. Uh, a season, yeah. 65,000. 65,000 total attendance. Yeah, over the whole season that they're down. Does that answer your question? Okay. <laughs> so last year they were 65,000 less than eight years ago. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 285 to 220-ish. Um, and then the moose came back. I mean, the moose, when they were the only show in town, probably had an average attendance of about... 1,500 to 2,000 more than even the Moose when they uh, first came back uh, a couple of years ago. But, I mean, the Moose have been dropping dropping like a rock. And uh, I think 
Maybe it. Uh, I did have moose season tickets for two years. I don't think the value is there for the the prices that they charge. And now with the ice in town, I think the moose are going to be a little bit of the the ugly duckling in this because I think the ice will have uh, not a, necessarily a better product, but I think they fit a niche a little bit more. And the moose kind of is more represented in the bigger picture by the Jets. And like you said, Chris, I think the Jets tickets are fair value. But basically, you go to Moose games, it's a bunch of kids in schools and stuff. So their attendance is dropping and dropping and dropping. Uh, when they were in, uh, before the Jets came back, they were third to fifth in the league, usually in attendance. Now they're usually about 20th to 24th out of 30, 31 teams, whatever it is. So the Moose have been dropping. Uh, the and, Bombers. And in context, too, like a lot of these, a lot of these teams are in the um, in the AHL are basically picked like for for complete geographical reasons. Like I, like some of these cities are completely tiny. Like we're talking like little places in Iowa or cities you've never heard of in California and stuff. Like, like, uh, yeah. I mean, granted, like Winnipeg's being asked to support two teams here, but not to slow your role here. But yeah, I just, I just to to add to that point, it's. I think that that's like when you look at the graph of the moose attendance, it's like a very clear arrow pointing downward, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and my point is actually, it's kind of twofold because right now I'm talking about how the jets coming back sort of affected attendance of other teams in the city, the bombers. I mean, they, even when they were terrible, they were selling out, they sold out like 11 straight games and Joe Max says, uh, wish the fans would be more supportive back in the old, uh, the old stadium. Then they moved to a new stadium. Of course it spikes that first year. And then it's slowly been going down, but I think it'll kind of average out. I think what you see right now is the future of it because people are being forced to choose. And then Valor joins the fray. I mean, I think they have 18 or 20 games at 5,000 average. So there's 100,000 tickets there gone um, that that are eating up people's entertainment dollar. And then also you add the ice next year, which uh, I don't think it'll be that big of a drop in the bucket. The place only seats 1,500, but still people are going to be forced to choose. And so right now, what we've seen is the Jets come back. It's affected every other sporting team uh, negatively. I and I'm not, this isn't, again, bashing the Jets. But I think eventually, kind of if the Jets aren't good, uh, the fact that there's so many other options could really affect the Jets negatively because they won't be the only show in town. Again, adding Valor this year, adding the ice uh, going into next season, having the Moose here, right? Obviously, the Bombers are a mainstay in the Gold Ice too, but that's a lot of options. So... That's uh, kind of adds to sort of the conversation a little bit. So I just thought it was interesting talking points. So yeah, you gotta you gotta take on that, Chris. I know I I have a I have a bunch actually as well. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's all it's all relative, and I think this is where the corporate money and all those sorts of things um, in long term and old in the '90s, the Jets, why they left and. Uh, what we needed and all that kind of stuff. That's why it was important that you have those 13, 14,000 season tickets that are always sold because then people are locked in, they're paid for, and it doesn't matter that the Bombers are good or bad or we just got a new soccer team or the Jets want to buy a lacrosse team. None of that matters because those 13 or 14,000 tickets are sold, period. Don't have to worry about it. It's not hard to sell another... 1500 or 2000 tickets 41 nights a, a year um if we don't have that corporate support and i'm not that this has nothing to do with what i said earlier if you don't have those 13,000 season tickets sold and if you have a waiting list that's under a thousand people or under 2000 people right now it's not going to be long before not all the season tickets are sold then yes i agree with you completely aj that uh, my family is going to be more likely to uh, go to an ice game for $35 than for me to try and take my kid for 150 bucks. Yep. I, I'm really interested in the ice as well, because I think it's just, I think there's a bunch of, a bunch of factors, like just the increase in the number of, of uh, pro sports teams, uh, the, the continued, the continued price increase on jets tickets is a real thing. Like, like just like 3%. There's, there's like a, that's the normal, that's like the nice, that's the nice guy uh, uh, price increase, right? From Chipman uh, on that on on tickets. So I mean, I just did the math. So back, you know, we're talking basically like from eighty five bucks for a ticket uh, back when they first came back 
now you're up to a hundred bucks a ticket. Like that's like when you're compounding those, uh, those price increases, it ends up really mattering. So, but, but the big thing is what I, what I think is like, okay, let's say like the, let's say that the Winnipeg market can handle, you know, now having six pro teams, um, you know, especially with the ice being and playing in Max Bell in the first year, like maybe that, maybe that's a bit of a saving grace for the Jets. But man alive, I just, uh, I just, I'm just looking at how much a Jets playoff run would must affect everybody else, because, <laughs> like, uh, like I just did the math, and so basically for one one Jets playoff game, like basically the the tickets are about what, like 15, 20 percent more than uh, than the regular season. Let's just call it 20 percent more. Well, that's that's two million dollars out of Winnipeg Winnipeg's population's entertainment dollar uh, budget. So that's like that's what Valor is going to bring in over the whole season. The the new soccer team, uh, two home playoff dates. That's the Gold Eyes like entire revenue basically from from tickets in in their whole season. And you can't tell me that it wasn't a lot harder for uh, that. It wasn't felt in like other sports leagues and just other, other trades and other industries when the jets made that playoff run last year. Cause that was what yeah. that was. Uh, that was two. Yeah. Two home games against mini three against Nashville. And then um, I think it was the three against um, against Vegas because we lost at home ice in game five. So that's that's a big chunk of uh, a big chunk of money and um yeah i just wonder like i just wonder kind of how the market can bear it and you look at little things like we have we're looking ahead to this uh this nfl exhibition game and i think it's not a very <laughs> fair test because of how ridiculously priced it was uh and who knows maybe maybe you know well you know you're listening to this podcast you just got back from your two weeks vacation and and somehow the NFL I felt 25,000 seats and they, they saved face. But right now it's something like 8,500 tickets have been sold to the freaking NFL in Winnipeg, this like once in a lifetime kind of thing. And it's, it's getting no support. The fact that I'm not going to that football game is all anybody needs to know. I'm an average worker making decent money. Um, I'm a big NFL fan and I have, almost no interest in going because and, and of the like ticket you were saying, you actually know like you're you're smart you know like this is the game when you're going to see like actual like like good players play right like in game the third game the third game's the best game the third game's the best game all the starters play usually at least three quarters you're going to see aaron Rodgers. you're going to see you know all the guys they're not pumping that but it doesn't matter for for anything over a hundred dollars is is crazy unless you're sitting like you know in between the 20s or something like that um and but it all goes where is that like you're saying mike where is all this money coming from there's our friends because we're all very similar in um our our status or whatever you want to call it our economic status our friends are still paying for that jets run two years ago (laughs) yeah (laughs) Right, it's still on credit cards. It's still there. It's still part of of it. So we knew it couldn't. You know, again, it's one of those things. We knew it couldn't last. We had friends last year who were selling their regular season tickets based on the fact that they only wanted to go to playoff games last year. Yeah. Oh, so, that's a great point. Do you guys remember towards the end of the regular season, like it was still like a couple weeks away or something, but we hosted the Montreal Canadiens and. It was, okay, I know usually Montreal fans show up, right? Like, like Habs fans show up when we host the Canadian. But this was, like, crazy. Like, it was legit, by far, outnumbered Habs fans to Jets fans. And to me, I was like, okay, this is very clear. Everyone's, like, thinking, like, oh, shit, I got to pay for playoff tickets. I bet. <laughs> we have, we have, pe- right, we have friends in, in our, in our group, um, that were selling from almost the beginning of the season because they were anticipating the, the the cost of a playoff run again after having just done it. Okay, guys, we're 
we're over an hour, hour and 10 minutes. We've got to wrap this up quick. I did want to say something about the, the NFL prices, though. Uh, I looked it up uh, the other day. And if you want to sit sort of like real nice seats, kind of right behind the benches or something in the, the middle of the field, right, the best tickets in the house, uh, if, you, if you want to sit there, about $440 Canadian to, to sit, you know, the best seats in the house, you know, first and hold on, or four rows from the field. Thing. That's, Killer, that's right? one seat. That's one yeah, that's one seat. $440 Canadian. And, but if you want to go down, if you want to drive down to Minneapolis and go to a game there and sit in the exact same seats in that beautiful new stadium they have in, in Minnesota, uh, $250 Canadian. Literally a $200 or $190 difference to sit in the same equivalent seats on the exact same day watching preseason NFL football. One is in Winnipeg. Uh, for $440 between the Packers and the Raiders and then Minnesota. I think they're playing the Cardinals that day. $190 difference to sit in the same seats. It's like the NFL just said, whatever we would make normally to have this game in Oakland or in Green Bay, we need to make that amount divided by the number of seats that you have. That's what it is. And at that point, the Bombers should have walked away from that and said, we can't do this. This is ridiculous. The Bombers are totally responsible for this. I know we're talking about the Jets, but well, we were talking about money and everything, but that's just insanity. Absolute insanity. I don't if, get you, it. Um, if you can't get two free tickets to that game, you're a loser. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, though, honestly, it, I think we all just needed to protest it. On, we just, no, no, this is ridiculous. I can't believe you tried to do this to us. You don't just get to come back and be like, and here's what's going to happen. They will give out free tickets or they will, you know, kind of, okay, every ticket is going to be $50, but they're going to do it two days before. And by that point, everybody's going to be so ridiculously jaded and laughing in their face at this and probably made other plans. And they'll be like, nah, forget it. And so they might get a, a bit more turnout, but it's still going to be quite embarrassing. And, and we'll all get to see it on hard knocks. So, yeah, we'll see. I, yeah, you know what? Maybe they'll be able to to pull a rabbit out of the hat, and I mean, they could do something like a positive move would be to, if you can market to people that have already bought the seats and be like, hey, you know, you you know, you can here's your promo code. You can it'll give you fifty percent off or whatever, or something like that, right? It's the only so, way they're gonna be able to do it is if they include the people that already spent the money. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how. But, yeah. like, we have friends, right, that have bought tickets at full price because they're fans of one of the two teams. And it really seems fair that I'm going to walk in a week before and get two tickets for a quarter of what they paid for one or something like that, right? So they got to figure something out. Anyway, this is a Jets podcast, so. Right. Yep. And- I'm Kurt Kielbach, and thank you for listening to the Jet-Centric Broadcast.